Hey guys, before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to remind you about the Adam Schefter podcast. Top executives, coaches, players, and the best analysts in the game appear on his show. Be sure to check it out. You can follow the Adam Schefter podcast now, as well as the Mina Kimes show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Also, don't miss Football Americas, the new soccer debate show where Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar cover the U.S. and Mexican national teams throughout the season. Stream new episodes every Monday and Thursday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Welcome back to the Mina Kaim Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks best player available refers to any human who's willing to throw him a ball. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. It is finally draft week. So I had to bring back my main man, a guy who uh, is so passionate about the draft. He entered this video chat with the name GM Yates. I, I need to change mine. It's still Mr. Unlimited. So I got I to gotta update that. But in any case, Mr. Unlimited will live on forever. I was going to say, like, Mr. Unlimited, so the, the amazing part of Mr. Unlimited was that it kind of rose to prominence like two years after it initially <laughs> was released onto the internet, or maybe it just re-rose to prominence. So I feel like you can keep it in perfect. It's pretty remarkable and applicable to all situations. Um, what's not unlimited is the number of picks Seattle has in the upcoming NFL draft, far from unlimited, highly limited. Uh, they are not picking in the first round, but guess what? All of your other favorite teams, well, not the Rams either, but uh, and no longer not the Chiefs. Okay, so that required a lot of caveats, but many of your favorite teams are picking. And um, Field and I have been talking about this for a while. We're going to do a final mock draft together. Um, but I should note, this is not a predictive mock draft. We are not telling you what's going to happen. For that, you should uh, trust Mel Kuyper more than either of us. No, we are telling you what we would do if we were... The GMs, hence Field's username. By the way, Field, you guys already know, he's the host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You can see him on NFL Live. You can see him during the draft, on Twitter, everywhere and everywhere talking football. But also, most importantly, he's a frequent contributor to the Mina Kimes show for a reason, because I trust his judgment greatly. Um, and I trust him so much that I decided to go first, Field, because it's the easiest pick. And I didn't want to give you the easiest pick because I felt yeah, you didn't need it. So... Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing that. I actually think that the evens are a little bit easier and we'll get into that very soon because the third pick is where mayhem kind of starts. And I do want to note that while you're right, or it's it's your podcast, of course you're right in noting that this is a predictive podcast. It's not a predictive mock draft. Excuse me. Mock, not predictive mock draft. There are times where a tiebreaker would be what I think the team might do as opposed to what I might. And you can tell us that. Um, but yeah, and, and I think, by the way, many of these picks are predictive because I think what you and I would do does align in certain cases with what the team might do. And that is certainly the case for the first overall pick with the number one pick in the 2021 mock but not predictive draft of the Mini Kime Show featuring Lenny. The Jacksonville Jaguars are taking, you guessed it, Trevor Lawrence, a dude who is really getting lost in the draft conversation this year because um, we've all been taking for granted that he's going to go here. Except for that one week where we talked about whether or not he actually loved football. Um, we just are really talking a lot about how great Trevor Lawrence is. And actually, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you, you know, going back and watching Clemson, other players wanting to see like Amari Rogers, for example, um, or guys Trevor Lawrence played and shredded up on defense 
it's just so striking how good he is. The national championship is a great example of that field. Like I watched, rewatched that game, not for Trevor Lawrence. I rewatched it for, oh, pardon me, not the national championship. I'm talking about the semis. I am so used to Clemson being the national championship. Anyways, I watched the semis for Justin Fields because, of course, it was his remarkable performance. But when you're watching it, Trevor Lawrence himself, again, facing great adversity, still does so many amazing things in a loss um, that just take your breath away. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. I assume you agree. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. just going to give a concur. 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 Thank you. Great. I mean, let's buy ourselves some more time for the remaining 31 picks, which I think are probably more interesting to the people that have understood that Trevor Lawrence was locked into this pick about four years ago. Okay. Well, you know what? Oh, number two is pretty locked in as well, at least in the, in the real it world. Is. So, That's Field, right. proceed. My friend, it sure is. Yeah. So, and, and I personally would be so I, I, this is one where although I might personally go with Justin Fields here, I think it's very close. It's two man race between he and Zach Wilson for the number two overall pick. I think we know it's going to be Zach Wilson, number two overall at the New York Jets. So, I'll stick with that pick here, Mina, uh, a player who has such immense upside, not just because of what we saw this past season, but how much he improved in a short period of time. He is. Remarkably talented, very good athlete, has a ton of charisma, a player that has tons of confidence, swagger. You know, the big adjustments for him are going to be different level of competition, inferior offensive line relative to the league. And then, as we know, and I don't want to make too much of this because some players deal with it very seamlessly, but others do not. New York is an interesting market, Mm. right? It certainly is a place where the microscope shines or is, is focused in on you every single day. It doesn't matter if you're playing a game on Sunday or playing a game of pool in the offseason at a bar. The cameras are going to find you. But Zach Wilson, the number two pick for the New York Jets. I love the, uh, like, playing a game of pool. It just this sounds so old-timey. <laughs> it's like, that's what you came up with. It's like, the, like, ooh, he's bad. He's a bad boy. He's playing pool at a bar. Um, okay, let me ask you this about Wilson. Um, so, the, to me, he's the one where the adjustment could be the roughest on account of going from that BYU offensive line in terms of rel- relative dominance you know, versus the level of competition mm-hmm. to a New York team where there's really only one, left tackle is, of course, certified with – certified <laughs> is fine with, with Mekhi Becton. Um, I guess they are okay with Van Roten. I know that they are going to ride another year with George Fant, but like how rough do you think that initial, you know, first few games or even full season could be with him given the adjustment period? It's going to be tough. And it's multiplied by the fact that while the Jets have certainly upgraded their wide receiver position, I know you're a fan of what they did with Corey Davis and also Keelan Cole. They don't have a true number one. Uh, Corey Davis is a really good player who could emerge into that on, on occasional weeks. Right. But True number one wide receivers are making somewhere around $17, $18, $19 million when signing in free agency or an extension. And Corey Davis got probably the strongest contract of any wide receiver other than Kenny Galladay this offseason. And he got $12.5 million per year. And I'm not trying to say that guys can't outplay their contract. Certainly many do in the NFL. But I just think if you look around at the Jets' artillery amongst pass catchers, it's not like this is the best in the division, and it's really not close. It's probably fourth if you look at the rest of the AFC East, assuming some of the Patriots' additions pan out uh, they made in free agency. So it's going to be a rough go for Zach Wilson early on. The difference here between where Sam Darnold was is just I think we feel like there's a bit more symmetry between the coaching staff and the front office, and it feels like 
even if there are early growing pains for Zach Wilson, there's at least a plan to alleviate those in a year or two. As we know, the Jets, including this Thursday night, have four yes. first round picks this year and next. So we were going to get to those other Jets picks later and you know, keep that in the back of mind. Um, okay. Uh, if the Jets, really interesting, I, yes, if the Jets take Zach Wilson as expected, he will be scrutinized in part because of the other quarterbacks who are left on the board who they are not taking. Um, San Francisco 49ers are picking number three. Their head coach Kyle Shanahan, in a very interesting move, spoke today to the press and said, "Listen, I don't know what's going to happen. We're all going to, we could all be dead." On Sunday, I think is how he put it, which was um, quite off-putting. Yeah, and, and so there's been a lot of reporting this week, Field, about how, you know, what the Niners are and aren't doing, what they were doing when they traded up. Um, who knows what's what, I guess, and, and who they liked and how much they liked him. I do think um, it is quite damning for... Jimmy Garoppolo that they apparently like everyone more than Jimmy Garoppolo. They're willing to at least consider everyone above him. But um, I'm going to make a pick that I do not think that there's – I would be shocked out of my socks if the Niners take him, and that is Justin Fields. Uh, it seems like it's really down to Mac Jones, Trey Lance, maybe slightly favoring Mac Jones is my interpretation of the if we might all be dead comment. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Justin Fields, and, and to me it's an interesting – uh, I guess dilemma for the Niners, or at least from a outside perspective, because Justin Fields is the player who more than Mac Jones and Trey Lance, you have to use your imagination a little bit to imagine, to use your imagination to imagine. That's why I'm with, I work with words for a living, but um, you have to like really picture what he would look like in the Niners offense, because it's compared to those other quarterbacks. So different from what he did at college. Uh, whereas, you know, Trey Lance, actually, you saw a lot of similar concepts, right? Under the under center play action, the booting, of course, Mac Jones, the accuracy, the play action there. I mean, Justin Fields uses a lot of play action as well, but Justin Fields, it's a lot of those deeper drops, longer developing routes. But to me, this is just about traits. It's about accuracy. It's about athleticism. It's about the arm. It's about leadership. So I'm the GM of the Niners, not you, Kyle Shanahan, and I'm taking Justin Fields. By the way, when Mina Kimes struggles with words, it's like a really humbling moment for the rest of us at ESPN. I carry a dictionary in my pocket at all times because of when Mina drops something on NFL Live, I'm like, I'm 98% sure I think I know what that means, but I'm not entirely sure. And as a result of that, I'm going to check it one time. So we all have our moments, Mina. Uh, I, if I, again, I mentioned I might take Justin Fields second overall if I were the Jets, so I have no objection to this pick. Other than Trevor Lawrence, because basically the entire draft just needs to be caveated with that, right? Like, other than Trevor, I have a couple of superlatives, and I wonder if Justin Fields might be my guy. Like, just my guy in this draft that I don't care where he gets, drop him in a helicopter to any NFL team, and I'm betting on him succeeding. I think there's something special about him, uh, and it transcends what you see on the field. There's a, I've talked about this with you previously, just a certain confidence and ability and a way that he carries himself that I just think bodes really well for success sooner rather than later, which brings us to pick number four, by the way. And I'm going to break the streak of quarterbacks. Uh, as we all know, there has not been four quarterbacks taken in the first four picks in the modern era of the draft. I believe that streak continues. And if I were the GM of the Falcons, I'm taking Kyle Pitts too. And this is a healthy conversation, Mina, and I've gone back and forth on this several times over. But I'm taking Kyle Pitts, the Florida tight end, and – Part of the reason why is that I think that the Falcons in some ways showed their hand a little bit when they restructured Matt Ryan's contract earlier this offseason. Yeah. They pushed money forward. And the reason why I mention that is that the runway – so if I'm drafting a quarterback in the first round that's not going to be the starter right away, 
two years is the absolute maximum that I'm not that he's not playing. But really, one year is is in a perfect world the maximum that he's sitting on the bench. And the runway for the Falcons just does not look that clear to me financially a year from now to move on from Matt Ryan, other than taking a big, huge hit. And if you take a big, huge hit cap wise, it probably is going to limit your ability to upgrade your other options on the roster, your other positions on the roster. So I don't know that even if you took a Trey Lance and you had the year to groom him like a year from now, it could be that the roster is under some tight clamps for Trey Lance. So I'm going to go with Kyle Pitts. And my argument for taking Kyle Pitts is because he's Kyle Pitts. And I've run out of superlatives yeah. for that player. We, we had a bit on Twitter where we were, I forgot who started it. I think it was Michael Jr. talking about how everyone's trying to outdo themselves in uh, describing how good Kyle Pitts is. And um, I think Bill Barnwell had the best one, which was Kyle Pitts is like when he takes his dog out for a walk and it's raining and he comes in and takes off his wet socks and puts on warm ones. I, th- I thought that was a pretty good con for Kyle Pitts. Um, that is a great I like one. that one. Bill also incredibly smart. Very smart guy. Um, let me ask you just this, because we don't need to talk about how great Kyle Pitts is. Everyone knows that. There were some rumors today that the Falcons might be considering moving on from Julio. Um. Hmm. To clear up some cap space. Yeah, more than rumors. More than yeah. rumors. There's there's whispers. Let's elevate them to whispers. Yeah. There's reports. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. if they did that, they would. It would, it would, depend, it would be post June. I think it would. They'd save fifteen million dollars this year. Is what I read. But the post June thing right. matters. Push fifteen million dollars. Yeah, definitely. So the, the the cap mechanics of it would be they would uh, rather than having a twenty three million dollar cap hit this year. They'd push 15 million of that into 2022. So, you know, classic Rob Peter to pay Paul uh, cap math here. Um, I mean, you remember a long time ago, and I, I'm trying to think of the original tweet that you noted, and it might have been, it was something to the, it's just, you're talking about Jamar Chase, Falcons, or you said something about them, you were, you were focusing on the Bengals. And my reply at the time was like, what if he goes forward to the Falcons? And it was kind of one of those where I think you responded with like an eyeball, eyeball emoji. And so one of the interesting parts about our roles uh, at ESPN is that like you hear a lot of stuff, right? You hear a lot of stuff. A lot of it does not ever come to fruition. And then you hear a lot of stuff and some of it does come to fruition. And, you know, I've been hearing whispers again, or maybe whatever is a, a level below whispers, rumors um, about Julio potentially being available via a trade um, for a while now this offseason, but certainly nothing strong enough that made me feel compelled to report it. Now we've elevated to a different level with Peter King and Albert Breer and uh, Adam Schefter all referencing it on Twitter uh, and each of those first two met men in their in their columns. So it seems like it could be something like I'm, I'm now bracing myself for that possibility at some point this weekend, even if the deal can't be executed till after June 1. Yeah, I, it's a tricky one because they're so obviously so cash strapped. But then it's like, OK, well, if you're trading for pits, you're trying to compete now and you moving on from Julio, I understand you'd be adding a weapon, but you know, you'd think if you're trying to win now, you want to keep one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And he is still one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And anyone who says otherwise can, well, catch these hands. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's such a, uh, like, basically it's a terrible financial situation of their own making that, um, you know, they've got to now unwind in Atlanta and, yeah, we'll we'll see how it all goes. I I just I, I wanted I wanted Julio to play with Arthur Smith and catch some touchdowns for once. That's all. So I'm just sad about that. I've got my jersey swap photo ready. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> oh, okay, number five. I, it's me again. Uh, okay, 
this is now a position that is ever, all these positions, man, are subject of great debate because what seems so simple a month ago it has become very confusing. I've got the Bengals pick and I am taking Panesuel. Oregon tackle mm-hmm. Panacea. And so I'm not sure the Bengals are going to do this field. There is so much smoke at the moment about them taking Jamar Chase or a pass catcher, maybe if Pitts fell. Um, and also, and then we've talked about this, you know, of course, they drafted Jota Williams, left tackle out of Alabama not that long ago in the first round, and then recently signed Riley Reef. But I just think that Panacea is a more valuable player than those wide receivers relative to the rest of his position group. And I think that um, it's so important in terms of like seeing what you have in Joe Burrow to bolster the offensive line. So, yeah, I, I agree in a vacuum. I'd rather take a left tackle than a wide receiver. And if I were making that pick, I would have gone with Penny Sewell as well. It seems to me that the thinking, if they end up going with a Jamar chase is that, Choose whatever arbitrary grade scale you want to have, 1 through 10, A through F, that Jamar Chase may be a, a 10 in the Bengals' eyes at wide receiver, whereas Penesul may be a 9 or an 8.75 or something of that nature, hence the lean towards Jamar Chase. It's not because they value wide receivers more than left tackles or because they don't believe or they think they need to acquiesce to what Joe Burrow likely wants. I think it's just that they grade this player as – one of the most uniquely talented wideouts we've seen in a while. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of the last wide receiver prospect we cast these kinds, uh, this kind of praise on. I would think Julio or AJ Green, which was obviously back in what 2011. So it's been ten or eleven years. I just don't it's see crazy. it. With well, we're about to. Have, I think we're going to have the opportunity very soon to discuss Jamar Chase. So maybe I'll resume. Let's get right into it. Yeah. <laughs> the easiest one that I have so far, my easiest pick is pick six, the Dolphins. And after the shuffling from three to 12 and back to six, it made me think very strongly the team was positioning itself to draft a pass catcher, yeah. uh, Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase, whichever one is sitting there waiting for them at pick six, if one was available at pick six. And in this case, there is. And Jamar Chase is there. He's available at pick six, which if you look at their wide receiver group now, has the shape or has the makings of being a particularly good one after signing Will Fuller to a one-year deal, Devontae Parker, who had a major, major bounce back year in 2019, and then a pretty solid year last year. Not as spectacular, but three players who I think Tua would feel much more comfortable throwing to uh, than he did last year when uh, obviously his rookie season and there were plenty of ups and downs, maybe more downs than ups. But this to me, at least on paper, gives Miami the kind of offense that they should feel like they have a very good ability to truly evaluate Tua this year. Like, No more excuses after 2021 for him. So one concern I have about, so this seems faded in the stars, unless Chase goes earlier to the Bengals, which is very likely. One concern I have about him in Miami, maybe not producing as much as people would hope is, so like what makes Jamar Jamar Chase really special is he's a bully. He wins Mm -hmm. on the line of scrimmage and he comes down with the football. What he is, and he's and he's great after the catch. He is tough. Um, there's a reason why people comp him a little bit to Cecil Senior, despite the fact that he is not built like Cecil Senior. It's he's, he has that same you know ice up son added like way about him. Right. Problem is, um, what he doesn't do extremely well is separate. Which, it, because he's so good in contested catch situations, it often doesn't matter. And I'm not saying he's slow. He's not slow. 
but he's not an elite separator in the way, you know, I, I don't know, like a Devontae Smith is, for example. And I wonder if Tua is going to be a little hesitant to throw him the ball sometimes because um, what we saw with Tua in terms of like a, a weakness last year was a lack of aggression. Now, maybe this is a way to make him more comfortable, to make him develop into a more aggressive passer. But while I understand taking Chase over Smith, I get you know the, the reasons why people are doing it. I Part of me wonders if Smith would be the better wide receiver for Tua Tungavailoa. Not a bad idea. I mean, I don't think you – I mean, certainly the built-in chemistry that they already have from playing together that in multiple well. years doesn't hurt, but it doesn't have to be a driving force. You would hope that a player as prodigious as Jamar Chase could develop chemistry with Tua rather quickly. And you're, you're right. I mean, it's interesting when you hear about a guy whose strength is contested catches, and there's so much that's different about these two players. I don't want to make this comparison too significant, but we just saw a player – whose greatest strength, Kenny Galladay, was gener- was winning in contested catch situations. The other side of that is that, while Kenny Galladay got a great contract, like part of the reason why it felt like Kenny Galladay's market moved so slow was that the massive long-term deal he was looking for was a bit more fleeting, in part because, hey, it's great that he can win all these contested catch situations. Part of the problem is he doesn't run 4-4 or 4-3-5, right? He's a 4-5, low 4-5s guy. Chase is obviously a faster time speed athlete and definitely has more upside than Kenny Galladay long term. Um, But being a guy who can consistently win in contested catch situations does come with a little bit of – but he's also always in contested catch situations. But I don't – I really though, like – we're definitely nitpicking at this point of the draft. I love Jamar Chase and the Dolphins should be doing yeah. cartwheels if the draft falls this I way. mean, that's going to be, that would be such a sick wide receiver group, pass catcher oh, group. So too, with, yeah, I mean, it, it would be really, really nice. And you're right. They would have no, Tua would have no excuses at that point. So, which, you yep. know, you, information. And the Dolphins have picks next year. And if they realize Tua is not the guy, they will have the opportunity to find the guy. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, so I'm a little bit of a hypocrite with the seventh pick because I just said on NFL Live that I think Detroit should take a quarterback if he's there. Um, although, you know what? Justin Fields was taken in our draft, so it's a different scenario. So I am switching it up, and yeah. uh, I'm going a little crazy. I'm Detroit's trading down. Oh, yeah, we've got trades in our draft. Ooh. It's a quick turnaround. They're trading with the Denver Broncos, who traded up for Trey Lance. Love it. Uh, did you have any idea, like, approximately what it would cost Denver to move up two picks? Field, I did not put in that level of thought. Uh, no, no, I'm just saying you know, I didn't Okay, okay you know what? Uh, like next year's first, and... I mean, that's... It's significant, but, you know, I... How's that? How's next year's first? Oh, that, that gets it done, for sure. I would think that okay. gets it done, yeah. for sure. Two spots, um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's two spots. Well, it could be that it, it could be that just a second round pick, but still. It, but, but if you want a quarterback, Denver's got to do it, man. Like I just, I just think Denver cannot go into the, like more than Detroit. Who I know I just said yeah. I think they should take quarterback, but if they don't take quarterback, no one the Lions fans aren't going to be losing their minds because they they get what this team's about. They're rebuilding, whatever. Denver must come out of this draft with a quarterback, in my opinion. And if yeah. they don't, it's a massive failure because this team is too good to waste another year. And if they have a quarterback, and, and I know that I understand people say, well, Trey Lance can't even compete this year. I actually personally disagree. But um, first of all, he, he doesn't have to play at the very beginning of the season. For, for There's that. But also, like – you can't, like you just gotta you gotta get the guy eventually. Um, and I like I, I'm a huge fan of Lance. You know, I've talked about other things I like about him. Obviously, the arm strength and athleticism. Um, we have seen him run a pro style offense. Um, and I think totally. it, it's not just the arm strength too. It's like the touch with which he throws with. I understand that the accuracy can be a bit scattershot at times, but. Uh, you and I were texting. We talked about it during some of his games, and there's just so much to like there. I don't know. I've, if I'm Denver, I make this move in a second. Yeah, it's it's supernatural. Everything comes almost too easy for Trey Lance, which is the part that you're like, is it because of who he's playing against, or is maybe he's just like this oversized football wizard? And I tend to think that maybe there is some of just just like genetically abnormal, unique dude who the only reason why we're even debating him at all is the fact that he's played one game last season, has just one full year as a starter. And one of the most intensely discussed topics, Mina, is that if you draft him, he needs to sit for a year. I think circumstantially, that's actually a wise assessment in some cases. Like if he does go third overall to San Francisco, I could see the value in Jimmy G starting the year under center. At the same time, if he goes to Denver, my mindset won't be, yeah, this will be perfect. Like, let Drew Rock, Drew Locke ride it out until he fails. No, my, my counterpoint would be, you know, we just talked about he's barely played football for the past two years. Like, let's get him some live reps. Like, yes. let's, let's just stay roll. And uh, they're too ready to compete uh, to avoid this window. So the Broncos moving up, to me, is smart business. And that leaves the Panthers without a well, – I guess there was a quarterback still on the board in Mac Jones. And Mina – so I'm going to go with Rashawn Slater, offensive lineman from Northwestern, probably a left tackle, could play guard. I think people understand the value there. They drafted Greg Little out of Ole Miss a couple of years ago. I, I just would say, like, I don't think it's going to be the answer. And I think there's enough of a sample size plus a new regime who has less loyalty and allegiance to the draft pick from the previous regime that I understand why they'd be motivated to move on. But what was interesting here, Mina, is that I pass on a quarterback – and I want to make the case because I know you and I think see this one differently in that you have been stumping for the Panthers to take a quarterback at eight overall. And my thought is that after trading for Sam Darnold, part of what hampered Sam obviously was a lack of weapons, but just in general, like the infrastructure and the setting and the circumstances around him. And my, my fear in drafting a quarterback eighth overall is that you just made this commitment to, can, to Sam to revitalize him, to feel like, hey, Make him feel good about himself again. Remind Sam that he's 23 years old, and when he drafted third over, was when he was drafted third overall three years ago. Not a single person thought anything other than like that's exactly where he deserves to be drafted, right? If not sooner, some people thought he was going to be the first overall pick in that year's draft. If you throw all that goodwill behind Sam Darnold and then immediately draft somebody eighth overall, I wonder how he would respond yeah. to it, right? He's been through a lot as far as you know fourth year quarterbacks now go. So that was my line of thinking: is that rather than do something that 
might have more value. Like if both of those quarterbacks were good, you'd have great long-term value. This is a, how can we make Sam Darnold believe that we believe in him? Let me ask you this. Would you still do that if Justin Fields was on the board? I might think twice at that point. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I hear I everything you're saying, but to me, it, it is about which quarterback. Um, yeah, no, it's fair. So, in this scenario, yeah. it's just Mac Jones left over. Right. Um, yeah, I, I would probably, if Justin Fields, I'm just going to have a hard time. As I, you know, I'm, we're, we're, he's my guy. So um, if Justin Fields is still there, pick eight, I might have to retract some of what I said, but I largely <laughs> believe in that sentiment. Like I really do the sort of football psychology involved, I believe is important, specific to the Sam Darnold pick. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And and as far as your actual pick, I mean, I think that's a dream situation for the Panthers, obvious area of need for them. We've talked about this is a draft where there's two tackles who are head and shoulders above the field in terms of Sewell and Slater. And then there's a bunch of teams picking after them who need tackles who are very upset, would be very upset. Uh, I'm sure the Chargers would be crying if the Panthers took Slater instead of a quarterback, <laughs> but um, tough noogies. All right. Do, 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 do. I am picking next. So with the trade down back to the lions. Um, all right. So this is, I think a pretty easy choice. I'm going wide receiver, Devonte Smith, which, you know, the, the wide receiver was where they were, were probably going to go at seven, if not quarterback. Um, the lions are a team that have like so many needs you could really, I could Any, anywhere, 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 literally anywhere. But to me, this is about where they're picking, you know, like, yes, you could say linebacker guard corner, uh, jump out to me. I mean, not really edge. Um, to me, I'd say anywhere. Yeah. It really is anywhere. But to me, Smith yeah. is like, you know, he's not going to come back around. And I also think that there's such a clear top tier of receivers. I also think Smith is really freaking special. I mean, I, you know, the only thing holding me back from having him as wide receiver one is the size. I just think he is because he does everything good. Like, what is mm -hmm. the thing he doesn't do well when you watch him? I don't have it. Yeah, there isn't an answer. Um and the size did not obviously work against him in Alabama, specifically last year. Now, I under, but I, I do think it's relevant, right? Like, I think it's important to, like, not ignore some of those things. And we'll see what happens if he gets jammed up in the line of scrimmage, if he plays a player comparable to, I don't know, whoever you think is the best, most, you know, Jalen Ramsey, who's obviously sort of one-on-one, right? But, like, when you draw players that are at least – you know, try to profile their game after Jalen Ramsey, whether they're long and physical, that'll be interesting for Devontae Smith. But this is a classic don't overthink it pick for the Detroit Lions. And I know we, in the interest of, of sort of speeding through some of these picks, we can make some of them really simple. And the Cowboys pick 10, Patrick Sertan the second, Alabama cornerback, Mina. It's got to be defense. I don't care who's available there unless yeah. it's Kyle Pitts in some 0.00001% chance. Um, but give me Patrick Sertan second. Patrick Sertan the second, uh, a player who, as we all know, I mean, he's, he's either 1 or 1A for these cornerback rankings and a guy who's got excellent size, six foot two, ran well. Every physical, every physical box is checked. Big game pedigree, bloodlines, father playing the NFL, which – does that stuff matter? No, it's not like a guy automatically becomes a good player because his father played. But uh, I think he has a little bit of understanding of what it takes to be great. And I think that's been evident throughout his high school and college career. Uh, played at the high school with a bunch of other guys are going to be drafted this year. Played at college with a bunch of other guys are going to be drafted there. And he's always stood out. So to me, uh, the, the, what, the second defensive player off the board, Patrick Chan the second. 
He's one where I, I just wanted to say one thing about him is when I was talking about the defensive prospects with Mike Renner, I think I was kind of, I was kind of negging him a little. I was like, eh, is he really fluid? How athletic is he? I understand he's a first round pick. He is a player who actually went back and watched um, his real ESPN does these like reels they cut up for us. And yeah. I, I take it all back, man. He's freaking <laughs> awesome. He's so goddamn sticky. And like, I think he is, I, I think I'd said at the time, Oh, maybe it's Farley. The closing speed's so crazy. If not for the injuries, I think he's, I think Sertan the second is the number one corner in this draft. And I think the Cowboys um, getting to pair him opposite his former teammate, digs would be tremendous i think the only thing you could argue is maybe they could trade down a little bit and get two defensive players early but because given all the needs that they have but i think you can't miss with this one all right um i'm 11 staying in the division this is one where it's a little bit off i i I don't know who who people are marking to the giants because they really have needs at uh, edge and uh on the offensive line but i am taking former Penn State linebacker, Micah Parsons here. Um, I think he's the best defensive player in the draft. I think I I said edge, but Micah Parsons is the player who can take down the quarterback. He blitzes like an edge rusher. He is an incredible tackler. He can cover decently well. To me, like as you're rebuilding this defense that was rising last year on new coordinator, Patrick Graham, he can be the centerpiece. Like he is your Luke Keekley of the future. I don't, I, he's not someone I'm comparing him to right now, but I'm just saying like, he can be the defining player in the whole unit. Yeah. And a guy who's got this uh, vivacious personality can be uh, the kind of player that's going to rally the defense pretty much right away. And I guess I mentioned a minute ago that Patrick Sertan was the second defensive player off the board, because in my mind, Micah Parsons is going to go first amongst all defensive players. I was wrong. Patrick Sertan being the first. Parsons the second. Uh, a player that will fit basically any defense. And to keep things in the NFC East, the dream scenario has come true for the Philadelphia Eagles as they get Jalen Waddle at the 12th pick wide receiver, at least in my estimation, a massive need for Philadelphia. Jalen Waddle, most explosive player in the draft. That's a line that like you're contractually obligated to say after Jalen Waddle, <laughs> most explosive player in the draft. Um, but uh, he, he's certainly that, right? I mean, I've, I've used the stat 75 times, so let's make it 76. His The average length of his 17 receiving touchdowns in college was over 44 yards, like basically half the field for every touchdown catch. So such a fun player. I don't sense any major concerns over the ankle injuries suffered uh, against Tennessee back in October. So give me Jalen Waddle and for Philly to add an extra first round pick next year and still get one of the top four pass catchers is literally turn the card in the second you get on the clock. We really flew because there was all those crazy with the Niners trade. I feel like the Philly trade with Miami was kind of lost. They picked up a first rounder to basically move down maybe from Chase to Waddle, you know, depending yeah. on what you like that is a nice piece of business for Philadelphia. And and I think the fear amongst Eagles fans were now we're not going to get one of the top 3 receivers. Well, if things shake out the way you describe, I know a lot of people think Giants might take Waddle, so we'll see what actually happens, but um yeah, it would be that would be a huge win. Huge win. Honestly, I would say that at least, you know, in Twitter, which take it with a grain of salt, the biggest concern with the trade, Mina, is just the person making the picks, right? I mean, uh, the public trust right now in in the Philadelphia Eagles front office is not particularly strong after a roller coaster of three years. You win the Super Bowl and three years later, your head coach has been fired. 
after seemingly being retained for an extra season. So there's just a lack of trust and things like the Jalen Rager pick over Justin Jefferson last year until those things turn around are going to leave, you know, that's, that's going to be a tough pill for Eagles fans to swallow. All right. Not to bring it up again. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, we're out of the NFC East. We are on to 13. I'm picking for the Chargers. I am bummed that Slater is gone. Everybody and their mom knows what the Chargers want to do in this draft, but I'm happy because Christian Derrissaw from Virginia Tech, left tackle, is still on the board. He is big. He is nasty. He is athletic. He is experienced. He did not allow a single sack or pressure last year off the top of my head. I hope that's true. It feels true. I feel like I wouldn't say just make that up. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, there is the drop off, like I said, from that tier to the next. But um, this is a kid who I think can start day one, frankly. And that's what the Chargers needed the position. Yeah, they've got Trey Pipkins currently as their... I guess, ostensible left tackle starter right now. Third round pick out of Sioux Falls a couple of years ago. Small school guy who has not played a ton for them in high leverage moments. But uh, Derisaw, this is another one where the meet, the, the need matches up with the value. Um, you mentioned that Sky is nasty, and I think we just want to see it a little bit more, like just be even more of a finisher because you know he's got all of those skills in him to be exactly that. I think 14 is a really interesting pick, Mina. And you and I had this conversation over text, I believe it was, that I think Quiddy Pay might even go before pick 14. He's Michigan's edge player, mm. but he can do so much more than that. He played everywhere over that defensive front for longtime defensive coordinator Don Brown. Um, well, not long time with the with Michigan, but just a longtime defensive coordinator in general. Uh, Quiddy Pay has an amazing story. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to read the profile by Hallie Grossman of ESPN, please, please go read it. It's Remarkable. Um, he's from the New England area, so I happen to be familiar with this player, uh, but powerful as heck, unbelievable athlete, versatile. Uh, and I know, I mean, character is just off the charts here, Mina. Uh, pay for the Vikings, I know that there are fans who want them to take an offensive lineman. Um, and I understand that the defensively, if they get Daniel Hunter back next year, that they, that pass rush could look a lot different. But they were searching for answers this past season. And, you know, I think they do feel better about Stephen Weatherly being back after a one-year hiatus to Carolina. But Pay is a kind of uh, edge difference maker that could help this defense look more like a Mike Zimmer defense once again. He can also play cornerback. I don't know if you saw that video he posted of himself. He's a third. Holy smokes. Look it up. It's under his own. I just pulled it up while you were talking because official Quiddy is that he posted it himself. He's a backpedaling, He's a I think, better than Dominic Foxworth did back in the day. No, um, yeah, I think they'd be thrilled. When he started his career, yeah, it's great. Unreal, unreal athleticism. Um, I think yeah. they'd, they'd be thrilled if he dropped to 14. I think the Giants could be a place where he gets stuck. Um, that's fine just, if he goes before 14. That's kind of my thought there. All right, folks, you waited long enough. With the 15th <laughs> overall pick, New England Patriots take Michael McCorkle Jones out of Alabama. Um, so it I feel I, it has to happen. I feel like there's this like binary thing that happens with draft season where if you say that the nine, like if you say, oh, the Niners shouldn't should take Justin Fields, you're saying Mac Jones sucks. I don't think Mac <laughs> Jones sucks. I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he's a first round talent. Um, yeah, they're all awesome. They're all awesome. But um, <laughs> that said, I don't, I, I would not have him above Justin Fields. I would, however, have him at 15 going to New England. Um, and not just because of the, you know, like Tom Brady fit and all the, 
stereotypes and whatnot. But because I do think the qualities, the things he did really well at Alabama, the accuracy, um, the anticipation he threw with, which frankly he has to throw with that anticipation because of his like arm and um, the quickness with which he got the ball out are all things that they've shown that they really value. So I, you know, I, you're only got Cam Newton and, you know, Sidham under contract quarterbacks, obviously an area of need for new England and they've upgraded elsewhere. They're going to be better this year than they were last season. Get your quarterback. Yeah, completely agree. And at this point, we've talked so much about the Patriots and their potential need for a quarterback that I have no retort other than that's a nice pick. Although I do think that the number 16 selection could be one of the better values so far. It's J.C. Horn, South Carolina quarterback, going to the Arizona Cardinals. Major, major need. I think he's maybe one of the top 10 players in this draft, which why is he lasting this long? I don't have a perfect answer other than quarterbacks go early and we've got a lot of great wide receivers as well. J.C. Horn has a confidence and a swagger that you need in cornerbacks. You need guys who have a short memory. You need to have cornerbacks that they may get, you know, beat or toasted or roasted on the first play of the drive, but in their mind, they're picking off the next pass. And J.C. Horn didn't have to worry a whole lot about the getting roasted early in the drive because it happens so infrequently with him. Uh, but he's got the confidence that every player he's facing off against is inferior to him, right? He covered <laughs> a lot of great wide receivers, obviously, in the SEC, and not just wide receivers, but also Kyle Pitts, the Florida do-everything tight end we talked about earlier. Um, he's seen plenty of high-level athletes in his day. Heck, I, he obviously, as we know, his father, Joe, longtime uh, NFL wide receiver, uh, carrier of cell phones while playing football. So <laughs> another guy that's just, uh, you know, he's sort of built for this and he'd be a phenomenal value and just an amazing fit for Arizona because A, they need him and B, at least last year, this is a team both afraid to play their cornerbacks on an island. Play man-to-man. Yes. And Jason Warren's going to be more than willing to play man-to-man. And, and there it is. Well, and, and he kind of has to from a fit perspective. Um, yeah. I, and, and while I do really love J.C. Horn, I don't think he's for every team. For example, Dallas, which is taking a cornerback, he does not make sense in a Dan Quinn defense. So I think there's a reason why he's on the board here for us. Also, really, like not a lot of teams need corners. I, it's yeah. it's interesting. And every year it's, it's always different. With it. You just never know. This year everyone needs a tackle. Um, corner has been, of course, an ongoing issue for Arizona, like forever. To finding mm-hmm. a guy to play opposite Pat Pete. Pat Pete is gone. Byron Murphy, as much of it pains me as a Huskies fan, has not lived up to expectations. They did sign Malcolm Butler, but undeniably number one need on this team. I think they would be thrilled to get JC Horn here. All right, let's we take a quick yeah. let's take a quick break and get to the second half of the draft. Okay, we are back. I am picking at 17 on behalf of the Las Vegas Raiders. Field. For some reason, the Raiders decided to dispense with half of their offensive line this season. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know why. I have yet to hear a good explanation. Maybe you know. Maybe you can tell me. You are you have got your ear to the ground uh, more than I do on such things. But in any case, offensive line is where we shall go. Um, and with the 17th overall pick, the Raiders are taking Elijah Vera Tucker, um, who can play guard or tackle. There's some question marks about which he would be better suited for. Well, Great news. The Raiders need both so they can figure out which one you should play on the right side. Um, yeah. T- tell me what you're thinking about the Raiders. Like, do you think they'll go offensive line in the draft? 
I think they need to. Um, I think they need to get some speed on defense and not just speed, like guys that can run, like guys that can run and apply it. Uh, you know, they probably whiffed on the Corey Littleton evaluation this past offseason, 2020 offseason. Yeah, a guy that was remarkable for the Rams, but uh, when the Rams didn't make much of an effort, cap constraints aside, to retain him, at least publicly it didn't seem that way. Maybe I should have known better. Um, I think the Raiders need to consider the offensive line. They're thinking, Mina, to go back to the question you posed during your selection of Oliveira Tucker. Um, the idea was to get younger on the offensive line and not saying get cheaper because they obviously paid Colton Miller a, long, a lot of money, but to sort of reallocate some some resources. So my big issue with the Raiders so far this offseason is that like I'm okay with the idea of getting younger. It just felt like Sometimes they, they sort of U-turn in the middle of the offseason, right? So a move like Kenyon Drake being signed for two years and $14 million is one that I view as emblematic of that U-turn, right? It's obviously an overpay of a running back in general. Second of all, you have a guy in Josh Jacobs you drafted two years ago in the first round. It's not that they're the same player. As a matter of fact, they're very dissimilar. But if you're going to use the 24th overall pick on a running back, you better be pretty darn sure that that guy is capable of playing enough that you don't need to spend $14 million on a player in Kenyon Drake, who at his best can be sort of this satellite player play in the passing game a bunch. But uh, the Raiders are hard to figure out. No team sticks to their board more uniquely than them. So this pick is a really good one by you. It's also way too conventional. So uh, I'm not expecting that. Um, 18 would be a great one for commuting purposes. The Dolphins, who have the 18th pick, this is their own pick. Jalen Phillips, yes. a player, edge player from Miami, University of Miami, uh, played one season there, started his college career. I'm, I'm, I'm sure most people know these stories, but just to refresh those that have are, are cliff noting right before the draft begins, started his career at UCLA, was arguably the best defensive player in the country coming out of high school. Uh, has all sorts of athletic upside, which he showed during his pro day. Had a really good season for Miami, but at one point walked away from football because of medical issues, concussions, which were very scary. And he, uh, there, there was questions about whether he'd ever play again. And he ended up transferring from UCLA, UCLA to Miami. Very, very talented guy. He actually took over the number 15 that was worn by his teammate Greg Rousseau after Rousseau opted out of the season. Jalen Phillips had a year that kind of mirrored what Greg Rousseau did the year before him, but athletically is just so, so special. And assuming the medical clip checks out, this is a player who's absolutely worthy of being selected right around here at this 18th overall pick. Yeah, and Edge makes a lot of sense. Um, yes, you know, for Miami. Emmanuel for Miami, yeah. Emmanuel Agba kind of had this great breakout year last season but outside of him there's a lot of question marks in in really the whole front seven frankly and I think Mm -hmm. we think of the Miami defense as being so good but it it, it was built back to front and while the secondary um, is in good shape and has a lot of pro bowl talent front seven a little bit less so you know they're not getting that much as a pass rusher from Christian Wilkins they definitely need someone uh, to help Agba up front Phillips makes a ton of sense for them all right, I'm picking at 19 for the Washington football team. Another team that needs a tackle field. I mean, there, there's another yeah. few other positions. You could see them, you know, like linebacker, wide receiver, I guess. But left, left tackle is such a glaring need for this team. Um, and, and, you know, another team that's probably disappointed that they're not picking a little bit earlier. But I am giving them Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, who is one of my favorite prospects 
because he is both incredibly nasty, which I realize is an adjective we overuse for offensive linemen, but I really think applies in his case. Like he is really nasty, um, just absolutely smashes faces and bodies. And yet his headshot features him wearing glasses, very thick glasses, which I enjoy as a combination. No, I, you know, he's the Marcus Spears. Because Marcus looks so, I mean, he and he, he is such a smart guy, and he looks so scholarly on television. Like I feel like he's a professor when he's talking about football. But then I also know that like Marcus Spears could probably bench press four of me, <laughs> and it would like not even break a sweat. Oh, we love big guys in glasses. Um, That's you know, the only concern I guess is Oklahoma State. Big 12, although, you know, it's not like he didn't play anyone. Uh, Google Tevin Jenkins, Joseph Asai, if you'd like to yeah. see. Um, <laughs> What's well, your Asai family member? An edge rusher uh, that he went up against. So I, I do have some concerns about day one with him, but I think he is the best tackle available at this position. Yeah, I would agree there. You're right. He's the meanest tackle in the draft. Uh, Washington's been able to kind of piece it together along the offensive line. Morgan Moses, veteran right tackle they have there, captain of the team too. We'll see whether Jenkins suits or fits better long-term right side or left side, but too much of a need for them to bypass a player who can be that much of a tone setter for any offensive line, which brings us to pick number 20. The Bears, who I think we all know would love to get in the quarterback derby somehow, but that's going to cost them a lot. If you're ownership, are you going to sign off on a deal that's significant when you know that if it doesn't work out right away, you might be firing the GM and the head coach that you're putting in charge of this draft right now? So I'll keep things local. Greg Newsom out of Northwestern, talented cornerback. Uh, he's sort of a see ball, get ball cornerback, right? Go back and just you watch him. If the ball is in his vicinity, He's probably getting his hands on it. A player dinged up a little bit in college, never major injuries, but uh, sort of banged up here or there. So one of those things that you have your eyes on, but really like the athletes, very, very athletic, uh, speedy, as I mentioned, competitive on the ball, extremely high character. And, you know, it's not a reason why they draft him that he's local, but the Bears obviously have gotten plenty of exposure to Greg Newsom in their own backyard. Yeah, of course, losing Kyle Fuller, Um, You know, a huge area of need for them all of a sudden, a secondary that was really good, you know, not that long ago. Um, In fact, the uh, guy who coached that secondary is now their defensive coordinator. They've got another young corner in Jalen Johnson. So to me, rebuilding from that side of the ball back to front makes a ton of sense for Chicago. Love the player, by the way. Love the player. Um, He's been a fun one where I didn't watch him a lot during the season and got a chance to catch up later and I it's easy to see why he's rising up draft boards why that the whole sure. defense by the way was so freaking good all right I'm picking for the Colts oh I feel like I got all the left tackles or like all the teams that desperately need left tackles um yes there are a lot of them there really are I mean the thing is the Colts like you, they, you could see them going edge you could see them going wide receiver but again they so desperately need a left tackle they didn't address it in free agency. Um, so I'm giving them Liam Eikenberg out of Notre Dame. He has the Mike Golick Jr. seal of approval. Um, and he has been described to me by multiple people as pro-ready, maybe not like the highest ceiling of any player, but um, just played a ton of football at Notre Dame. A ton of, you know, he got a ton of experience pass protecting and feels like a Chris Ballard pick. Yeah, he does. And 
Michael Jr. gave the stamp of approval. Scott Pioli, my former boss, who has long been a guy who just lives for offensive line evaluation, early in the pre-draft process, at least relatively speaking, identified Eichenberg as a player that he thought was underrated amongst these left tackles. And when he said that, it immediately prompted me to go back and watch him even more. And it's not flashy. It's not sexy. He's not nearly as athletic as Penny Sewell or even Rashawn Slater. Probably not as big as Christian Derrissaw. Uh, maybe not as mean as Tevin Jenkins, but he's just got this sort of even keeled dependability to him. And if you're the Colts, we know this team feels like it's really ready to win right now, right? That's why they traded for Carson Wentz, but they need a left tackle in the worst way. And a old Notre Dame left side of the line would certainly serve this offense pretty, pretty well, in my opinion. Um, and right to number 22. How about that? We stay in the AFC South. And I actually think this could be one of my favorite picks yeah, uh, I that I had the chance to make is Eli Moore, Elijah Moore, wide receiver, slot player out of Ole Miss, one year playing for Lane Kiffin and just crushed it at an unbelievable season. Big question is whether he emerges the clear-cut number four wide receiver. I know Todd McShay feels like in canvassing the leagues, the league that people around the league believe this is clearly the number four guy. Um, when you have a player who is wow. diminutive and, yeah, um, Rashad Bateman truth was out there coming out hard, um, yeah. but uh, he's diminutive relative to some of the other guys. And I'm not talking about small in the way that Devontae Smith is small. Like he's, he's a shorter guy. He's not, he's actually very much the antithesis of what you think of, of Ole Miss wide receivers because of the fact that AJ Brown and DK Metcalf were drafted just two years ago. But when you have a player who is not huge, part of the incumbent responsibility for an offense is you have a very accurate quarterback because He's going to be doing a lot of his damage in the slot and doing a lot of damage in areas where you don't have massive windows. You're not throwing 25 yards down the field where it's just a wide receiver and a cornerback. You might be throwing between a linebacker and a cornerback who are each squatting in their drop zones. So you need an accurate quarterback. The Titans have that. Elijah Moore, a player that would fill a huge need for Tennessee after losing Corey Davis and John Smith this offseason. I think that both of those players, by the way, like sometimes when guys walk away in free agency, I mean, and we know it's like the team is like, all right, listen. We want him to do well. We want him to get paid a lot of money, but it certainly wasn't going to be us to pay him that much money. <laughs> I do think part of what happened with uh, the Titans this offseason was that their own cap situation, like they have really, really good players in their roster, and they would have loved to keep John yeah. Smith and Corey Davis around. They just understood that economically they needed to reinvest assets to the defensive side of the ball, and those guys got paid to go elsewhere. Yeah, I just have one word, tough, and mm. – Every player on the Titans is tough. That's their yeah. whole thing. That's their identity as a team. This dude gets yards after the catch. Totally. And you know what? Like it, it makes a ton of sense. Perfect fit with AJ Brown. Perfect fit for what they do. Um, I love. I love the pick. I love. The, I really like him too, man. He's he's a really fun. I, I mean, I'm trying to say fun less. He's a really gritty player. <laughs> um, <laughs> And he's, he's, he, by the way, um, I think is like an impact day one type. Like if I was thinking about this from a fantasy perspective, I would definitely draft, draft Elijah Moore. Okay. With the 23rd overall pick. Well, I'm thrilled here. If I'm the New York Jets, I almost say said the New York football Jets. I always do that. But anyways, uh, I need a cornerback and a very good cornerback is available. Caleb Farley. Of course, questions about him are almost entirely injury-related. If not, I think it is possible. I know I just said I like Sertan, that he would be the top corner in the class um, because of his incredible speed. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know if there are any questions about him other than athleticism, but 
the Jets really, really need a quarterback. Uh, no questions about Caleb Farley other than the uh, and the injury right now. He is silky smooth, relatively new to the position. But for a guy that hasn't been playing cornerback very long, the confidence is just through the roof. Player who, in his very first game playing cornerback, intercepted two passes. So he's a quick study, and assuming the back checks <laughs> out sooner rather than later, this guy could eventually develop into a Pro Bowl slash All-Pro player. 24 for me, Mina, you and I, I think both fundamentally believe that the best way to improve your running game is to not draft a better running back. It's instead to improve your oh. offensive line, which the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, need to do. Uh, obviously, you saw the there's retirements and departures in free agency and all sorts of changes along the offensive line for the Steelers this offseason, which leads me to Creed Humphrey, the center from Oklahoma, guy who showed up at the Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl Senior Bowl, and showed very well. Played a ton of snaps, obviously, at Oklahoma. Played with big stakes, right? I mean, he played with quarterbacks that are either number one picks in the draft, guys who are going to be starters this year in Jalen Hurts, and a guy next year who could be the number one overall pick in Spencer Rattler. So he's been around big moments. He's a left-handed player. He's a grinder. I love the player. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see with what the Steelers do. I keep seeing those running backs smock to the field. Um, way, but that I, I mentioned line. that Creed Humphrey's a lefty Ooh. like it was something significant, and it really isn't. I just find it interesting because I don't know if there are any <laughs> other lefty centers in the NFL right now. I do wonder if it um, can cause some issues. Yeah, it's going to be I a for, for Big Ben. Oh, wow. Wow, red flag. Um, no, yeah, that's offensive line for the Steelers is just such an issue. Mm. And if not here, it needs to be addressed throughout the draft. Okay. Uh, I'm picking for the Jaguars now at 25, and I am once again thrilled uh, that Trayvon Merrick, the TCU safety widely seen as the best safety available in the draft, is on the board. Um, you know, I talked about the Jags' needs last week. Tight end, maybe along the offensive line, they could add some depth. Um you know, I could see them going defensive tackle. I don't know. But I just think safety is really a glaring need. And, yeah, this lines up really well for them, frankly. I know they paid Rayshon Jenkins some money, obviously went out and signed Shaq Griffin. But um, to me, like Joe Cullen is coming here from Baltimore. You and I talked a little bit about what that means for the defense. They're probably going to switch it up up front. He needs that playmaking safety and Yeah, he's a heat-seeking missile. Uh, Clearly the best safety in terms of center field and find the football ability. I love Trayvon Merrick as well. The Browns take a player that I think will be long gone by the time we actually get to 26 in my mock draft. It's Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama. Had a strong second half last season. Was incredible. The national championship game, Mina. Um, It's really easy sometimes to draw comparisons between players that play the same position and went to the same college, but there are some shades of shades of Quinn Williams and Christian Barmore's game. And if you're going to take in a first round defensive tackle, my hope is the guy can give you some pass rush as well, which I think is the case. The Browns, of course, recently cut Sheldon Richardson. Larry Ogajobi left in free agency. A little bit of a need there for Cleveland and a great value and a player that I think has sort of untapped potential. Like he's just getting started into this leap to, uh, I think, potential stardom. Yeah, that's a dream scenario for Cleveland. I mean, and then to have, you know, Garrett and the addition, of course, Clowney and Barmar has, you know, really got this pass rushing upside that not a lot of defensive tackles have in this draft would be remarkable, especially if they get the guy we saw at the end of last season, the watch out for that front seven. All right. Speaking of dream situations, I'm picking for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and 
You know it. I'm so happy because Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, perfect fit for this team. I can't believe he landed into my lap here. Um, yeah, the Ravens need a true X. They do not have one. They need a guy who can win one-on-one on the outside, but also on the inside, you know, and, and be moved across uh, the formation and has a um, complete route tree, which not every wide receiver in this class does, who's tough, who wins after the catch, who breaks tackles, who can block. I think Rashad Bateman can do all of those things, and I'm thrilled. I mean, the, the job of a wide receiver is twofold. Get open, catch the football. He doesn't do it in the same way that Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle does, but Rashad Bateman gets open and he catches the football. He'll have an excellent career. Uh, I feel confident that sort of no matter where he goes, and this will be an amazing value for the Ravens with their first first-round pick. 28, Zayvon Collins, a player that I know you love. Just It's impossible to miss him watching his Tulsa film, a guy who was lightly recruited coming out of high school, but goes to Tulsa, immediately makes an impact, incredible character, some versatility, can provide you a little bit of boost off the edge if need be, but can be a stand-up inside linebacker. The Saints landed a player in the third round last year, Zach Baum out of Wisconsin, who some thought could wind up maybe even going to the back end of the first round slid. I think there were some medical concerns there, but you factor in Zach Baum and a potential second-year breakout to Mario Davis and also Zayvon Collins, and this linebacking core could once again be a strength, and for as much as the Saints for 15 years are basically dominated by offense. Anybody who watched that team closely knows that last year the strength of that team was the defense. This is an opportunity for them to keep that going this year as they navigate the waters of a new starting quarterback for the first time in, what, 16, 17 seasons. Yeah, I love Collins and, like, you know, I think the question marks there are just largely uh, about level of competition. Um, can he cover at the next mm. level? What better player to learn from than Demario Davis? It's a terrific fit for them. I think the pass rushing ability is tremendous as well. Um, just, you know, we talk a lot about his size and speed for that size, but also just like a super intelligent player, um, really good at reading quarterbacks already. Yeah, I, I, I would love for him to land in New Orleans. Okay. So, so I was a little bit torn, um, on 29. I'm picking for the Packers because I was tempted to go corner. I think that is an area of need for them. Um, Sante Samuel jr. I think would be a nice fit there, but in fact, you know, by the way, I asked for comps and some people said Jair, Jair Alexander, which I thought was a little optimistic, but you know, obviously that'd be nice for green Bay. Um, I'm taking Kadarius Tony out of Florida. Obviously everyone knows Green Bay could use another wide receiver or thinks that good Green Bay could use another wide receiver. Um, and you know, like for me, Tony's, he's not going to be a number one somewhere. Obviously Devonte Adams is a number one in Green Bay, but what he can do underneath the way he moves, the twitchiness, the pure playmaking, just if you get the ball in his hands, he's going to do crazy things. And I love the idea of Matt LaFleur figuring out what to do with him. Super special player after the catch. Uh, not the biggest wide receiver, but uh, I know you've described him as a joystick before. Was it like a game of Froggers? How you described him running across traffic? He's Mario doing that, uh, that little, that hard level. Yeah, he <laughs> is a, uh, he's a unique guy with the football in his hands, a breakout player this past year. Um, but a guy who you know arrived to Florida with a lot of expectations, and he sort of finally fulfilled those during his last season with the Gators. Uh, 30, 31, 32, we're at the territory, Mina, where people start to feel 
needs or also fill just like crazy value, right? And the Bills end up with Jeremiah Usu Koromoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame. I picked 30. I don't think he'll be here. Let me be very clear. I do not think JOK will be available at pick 30. I had a hard time finding my mock earlier, so I guess I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. But special talents, right? I mean, unbelievable athlete, the kind of guy that can carry tight ends in the seam in space. Might be important where you have a position where you have at least three good tight ends, right? And Jonu Smith and also Hunter Henry yeah. and also Mike Kosicki. Who knows? Maybe Kyle Pitts. Uh, I don't think so, but we'll see. Uh, in any event, uh, I think Jeremiah Wusukormo, this might be considered a luxury for the Bills, but this roster is not chock full of needs. And while some would argue for Travis Etienne here, our own Marcel Louis-Jacques, the great Bills reporter for NFL Nation, has been suggesting that pick. I just believe you can find a little bit more value in running backs in round two, three, mm-hmm. four, five, all the way to the undrafted running back free agent class. You know, I think the reason these I, – I, we keep saying, I, I can't believe he's here. I and, I, and I do think – Maybe part of it is because of all these tackles, you know, that we're taking for teams that are desperate for tackles. But yeah, I mean, joke to the Bills would be, well, it it would not be a joke. Let's put it that (laughs) way. All right. Um, I could also see the Bills going edge rusher. So I'm fine. The Ravens. I'm glad they didn't because I need an edge rusher and I am going to take Aziz Ojulari out of Georgia. Um, Maybe the most polished pass rusher in the class, a little bit undersized, but I think the Ravens will be able to get him one-on-ones quite easily. And obviously they blitz a ton. He'll be able to take advantage of that as well. I think that if they were to come out of this draft with Bateman and Ojolari, they would be. Thrilled. Yeah, this would be a home run draft for them in the first round on Thursday night. If they can fill their two biggest needs right now. I love Ojolari sort of born to rush the passer, natural bender, a guy who, Uh, did well during the pre-draft process and put together a pretty solid career at Georgia as well. You're obviously, as we talked about with a lot of other SEC prospects so far, seeing a high level of competition. I was confused. I was baffled. did not know what to do with the Buccaneers at pick 32 because, and I know we say this every year about the defending Super Bowl champs, but they look well-equipped to run it back and be a very, very formidable roster this year. Um, so I don't know the defensive line is the biggest need they have right now, but I'm not sure what their biggest need is. I won't, Levi Onzarike, Washington defensive tackle, a guy who showed up at the Senior Bowl, opted out this past season. Uh, I'm sure you know him well, uh, obviously, as a Husky fan, but they have picked up the fifth-year option on Vita Vea, and that's important. He's now under contract through 2022, Mina, but worth noting that William Golston, Jason Pierre-Paul, scheduled to be free agents after this year. Same thing goes for Indomitian Seuss. When you have such a solid roster, you're saying, what do we need a year from now or two years from now? And this is a player that if had a full season this past year, maybe we're discussing him in a different light. But I like the player, like the fit. And frankly, if you're the Bucks, you can do whatever you want because who am I to tell you that you <laughs> haven't done things right so far this offseason? Uh, they really have the most insane roster it's right ridiculous. now and would absolutely be drafting for depth and depth the future at every position. And as far as Levi goes, um, you know, a little bit better as a freshman than he was as a sophomore. Uh, for those who watched him at Washington, remember that, but there's a lot of upside there and there's a reason why he's climbing up draft boards. I think it has to do with that upside, yeah. the athleticism, what people saw earlier in his career field. We did it. We made it. We got all the picks in. Uh, I really like our draft, and I think that very few of these picks will probably happen in the order that. Um, if, yeah, if we go we'll thirty-two see. for thirty-two, ESPN has to put us on the set for night one of the twenty twenty-two NFL draft. That feels like the rules. If we go twenty for thirty-two, That's I'm making that push. Point. 
And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Look, I, I, we, have, we are up against a hard out because this draft week is crazy. So I'm only going to ask one more question. And it's not even a question. It's from Lenny. Um, he just heard you had a birthday. I did. And he wants to know how it feels now that you can legally vote. Oh, man, Lenny. It's so uh, freeing. It's, uh, it's a wonderful achievement. And um, I hope to one day be as seasoned and thoughtful and wise as you, Lenny. I hope you're doing well. I miss you, pal. Thanks so much, Field. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 